Amen. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for Mr. Allen. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm so glad to have each and every one of you here today. And uh, man, it's great to uh, see our children up here. That's the future of, uh, you know, who we are. And uh, make sure you thank a children's worker today. They volunteer their time and they, um, you know, get, they, they miss church every once in a while so that they could go and be with our uh, children and uh, just give them a, a hug and tell them thank you. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, we love you. God, today as we talk about prayer, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, God, just enliven us, God, and uh, awaken our imagination, uh, Lord, to how we could increase our prayer life, God, and how we can uh, maybe start it up, Lord, even. Um, God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to see the purpose of prayer and uh, to get excited about doing it. In your name we pray, amen. Now, everyone knows... We ought to pray, right? But prayer can be a little bit of a confusing thing, an intimidating thing for us. Part of the problem is we have come up with so many rules for prayer. You know, do I have to be kneeling, right? Uh, I guess my eyes should be closed maybe, right? Or, you know, if I hold my hands just like this, I think it gets better reception and God can hear me a little bit better, right? We've come up with so many rules for prayer. Some of us even have like a special voice that we pray in. Our God who art in heaven. It's uh, like a bad Sean Connery impression a little bit. There's even a little bit of confusion around the pre-meal prayer. And we've got a short clip that just uh, educates us on pre-meal prayer. Yeah, let me get the creme brulee. I love cheese. Uh, you don't need to pray for that because you've already prayed for your meal 
earlier in the night? Do you hold hands before you pray? That depends on your situation. If it's a personal family gathering, some close-knit Bible study of some sort, sure, a hold hand wouldn't be uncomfortable. Now, if you're on a Tinder date, that might throw off the mood a little bit. Most of the confusion surrounding pre-meal prayer comes from when to actually pray. Let me just say, on behalf of waiters all over the world, please pray when your waiter is not there. There's nothing worse than a waiter coming out with two full arms of fajitas, and you're over there mid-prayer at Jabez. Like, what are you doing? Last but certainly not least, who at the table volunteers to lead the prayer? Lots of people say the man should lead the prayer. Why is that? I'm not sure. It's 2018. Maybe you should get that rule adjusted at some point in the near future. A lot of people operate under the most spiritual person at the table. They're going to be the one that should pray because that prayer is going to be the most powerful and effective. So if you got obviously a pastor, a missionary, even a Christian blogger of some sort, who's even a volunteer youth pastor, that prayer is going to be a little less effective, but it's still going to qualify. If you're just an average person sitting at the table with obviously more spiritual people around you, you're kind of off the hook because I feel like God would be like, hey, how come y'all didn't bless this meal? You'd be like, I don't know. Ask the pastor. He works for you. And there's a lot of confusion around prayer, and it can be a little bit intimidating for us. Uh, but it's amazing that we aren't alone when we ask that question, how do we pray? The disciples had questions too. And J.D. Greer has a great outline on this subject of prayer that we're going to be using this morning. If you would turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11, we'll be there the whole entire service this morning. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, let's time out right there. Let's notice something right here, that Jesus doesn't say, it doesn't matter how you pray, just pray. No, he goes on and gives them a template that they can use to pray. We do have to be taught how to pray. And there are specifically Christian ways to pray. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, and the account of, in that book of this story, it, Jesus first tells them, before he tells them how to pray, first he tells them how not to pray. Jesus says, don't be the person that uses their prayers to impress people, because you're not praying to them, you're praying to me. You're not praying for others around you, you're praying for God. Uh, next, Jesus says, uh, don't use the same words over and over and over again. Why? Because the power is not in the words you're praying. The power is in the God that you're praying to. So Hail Marys don't impress God. In the Greek, in fact, it goes as far to say in this verse, those words for empty words means babbling. So mechanical and thoughtless prayers are pointless. Just saying the same things over and over again. No, God wants you to engage your mind. Because prayer is not a transaction that if I do this, it's not, it's not a, uh, you know, a spell or some incantation where if we do these things, then God is obligated to respond in this way. No, if you have your faith in Christ as the only means of salvation, then you are a child of God. 
We probably learned that as parents or as children, it's wrong to try and manipulate the other, right? Parents shouldn't manipulate their kids and kids shouldn't try and manipulate their parents. And that's also not how relationship with God is supposed to work either. God is our father and he wants to hear from us. We don't have to come trembling. We can rush into the presence of God. Okay, so how then do we pray? He doesn't rebuke them for saying they don't know how to pray. In fact, he goes on and tells them how to. And we know this is known as the Lord's Prayer. But it's not just some empty poem that we should recite over and over again. Instead, it's a template that teaches us the characteristics of prayer. And for that reason, many people prefer to label it the model prayer. So verse 2, let's check it out again. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. The biggest and often hardest thing to do in prayer is pausing. I don't know about you, but that's my problem with it, not rushing through it. I'd like to just get to the point and then be like, all right, that's it. I got it out, God, I'm done. But when you pray, he says, say, Father. Everybody say that back to me. You ready? Father. Father. One more time. Father. Father. He says, pray, Father. Say that. Start it off. And I don't know about you, but this last week I've been trying that. And there's something about going to God, not with flowery sayings, God of the universe, please hear my prayer today. No, but just rushing to God and saying, Father. Father, I need you. There's something special about that. Paul Miller said this. He says, when you slow down to pray, we are immediately confronted with how unspiritual we are. But in contrast, children never get frozen by their selfishness. They come just as they are, totally self-absorbed. And Jesus tells us to become like a little child when we pray. Well, how do little children ask? They just say what's on their minds. They have no awareness of what is appropriate or inappropriate. This isn't just a random observation about how parents respond to children. This is the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the fact that God accepts me with all of my mess. And that we can approach him without hesitation and talk to him as we would an earthly father. Because we are in relationship with him. Now, for some of us, that's a struggle because of our relationship with our earthly father. But even fathers that were less than what we needed can teach us something about God the Father. See, the things that you wish your father was is who God is. And that anger and inattentiveness or maybe even absence altogether points to a void that only God can fill with his patience, love, and constant attention. Verse 2. He says, when he said to them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Notice before we ever get into any type of request, we were reminding ourselves who God is. See, prayer is more about our relationship with God than just getting through a list of needs that God already knows you have. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means most beautiful. J.D. Greer says this, that God is better than anything that you're asking for. We need to realize that, that the ability to talk to God is actually the greatest answer of prayer we could ever want. See, God is amazing, and yes, he gives great gifts, 
but he is more beautiful and more holy and more splendiferous. Yes, that's a real word. I looked it up. God is better than anything he could ever give us. Hallowed be his name. And this is why unanswered prayer is a crossroad for us. Will you let your relationship with God be broken because of unanswered prayer? Or will you say and choose to say, even in the face of need and sorrow and want, that I Choose to believe that, God, you are better or you are good and I trust you. Even if you don't answer this prayer, I still trust you. See, God can be hallowed through answering our prayers and and praise that he receives from that. But God can also be hallowed through unanswered prayer when you show that you can have joy through bad circumstances or through bad health. Why? Because he is better than health or anything else that you're asking him for. See, the point of our lives is bringing glory to God. Now, sometimes that glory comes to God because sick people get well. And sometimes God is glorified when sick people suffer well. And yes, sometimes God is even glorified when sick people die well. Hallowed be his name. He is worthy God, let your name be hallowed in our lives, but not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Help me to show how beautiful and how worthy you are. Next verse two goes on and says, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. This is us remembering who is in charge, that we're not seeking God's help in our agendas, We're seeking to join God where he is already working. The point is not for us to convince God of what he should do. The point is for us to know and understand and obey what he wants to do. God, your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Now, some of us have been trying and pushing to make something happen in our lives when what we really need to do is say, God, help me to give up on this desire that I have, and instead, give me your desires. Maybe it's a relationship. I remember uh, praying for God to try and fix a relationship that I had when I was like 16 years old. But it clearly wasn't God's will. He had something so much better for me. Maybe it's a job. Often we think we have it all figured out or that we know what God should do. And we even try and push to make it happen. But in reality, that's just a lack of faith. And maybe what you really need to do is just stand still and let God move. Maybe you really just need to step back and pause and say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm on your side. I'm agreeing with you. I never dreamed that I would be a pastor at all. This was not what I uh, you know, played when I was seven years old. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to be an astronaut or something like that, like the rest of us did. I never dreamed that this was what God would have for me. I never dreamed I'd live in West Virginia. But if I would have pushed to make things happen, I had, there was other opportunities that I could have made happen. But God uh, pushed on my heart that I needed to wait and pause And if I would have jumped before God said to jump, 
I wouldn't be here with you amazing people in this amazing place. See, prayer is not going to work until you're able to say, God, your kingdom come. Well, how do we best know what God wants to do in this world? We saw that a few weeks ago, that the will of God is in the word of God. God did not leave you instructionless. He didn't leave you with no idea what you should do. Uh, we had the game Mousetrap as kids. How many remember that game, right? I, to this day, have no idea how to play that game because we did not have the instructions. And it is not an intuitive game at all. But God didn't leave us like that. He left us with instructions, black words on white paper. And whenever you're confused, run to the word of God. Run to the Bible. And see, your time reading the Bible and your prayer time are not two separate things. They are two parts of the same thing. And prayer should be woven into your reading of Scripture. And the Bible should be woven into your prayer life. Here's a helpful tip on how to jumpstart that practice of weaving the Bible and prayer together. It's this acronym, HEAR. Trying to hear from God, right? The first one is when you're reading God's Word, highlight. When you're reading God's Word, you highlight the promises or the things that you need to add to your life. And once you do that, examine. Make sure that, what you, that you know what those things really mean and that you're not taking that Scripture out of context. Let the scripture interpret scripture. Balance is important. Next is A, apply. Figure out what this scripture uh, means to you and how you can apply it to your life. And lastly, respond. Go to God in prayer and asking, uh, asking him to fulfill those promises in your life. Ask him to keep you from that sin or ask him to add that spiritual discipline to your life. Why? Because that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, not my will be done, but your kingdom come. I want to hear from you. And too often we separate those things. I read the chapter of the Bible, and then I prayed about all the things I wanted. But really, in reality, these two things should be interwoven and together. And as we read these accounts in Scripture, when we see the fact that we need unity or forgiveness or we need uh, to work on our anger issues, those things should jump off the page and say, God, help me with this stuff. Another part of the desire for God's kingdom to be done on this earth is listening. Listening. See, sometimes what you really need to do is just quiet your heart and mind and say, God, speak to my heart. Impress on me what you want me to do. The Holy Spirit speaks 36 times in just in the book of Acts. But how does that work? The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit speaks, but how? I'd love to just get like a text message from the Holy Spirit that just says, hey, do this today. Don't go to that place. Hey, make that decision. But it seems as though the Bible is purposefully ambiguous on how that works. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit speaks, but he doesn't say this happened, then that happened, then this happened. And I believe that's for a purpose. I believe God wants us to approach this with humility. There's perhaps been more pain coming uh, after the words, God just told me, than perhaps any other phrase. I've heard pastors tell congregations that God told him that they should make this move as a church and make this big decision as a church, only to a year later come back and say, hey, I don't think that's the right idea anymore. 
Which was it? Did God tell you? Or was it a a bad idea? And we need to be careful with God said. There's a young man in college that uh, once prayed for a young woman to, uh, you know, be his girlfriend and to marry him one day. And she said no. And he didn't believe her. He's like, no, God told me you were going to marry me. Well, that's not how it works. You can't just do that. I've tried. It doesn't work. No, I'm just kidding. But we need to have humility when we use these phrases like God told me. Because that leaves no room. Not, God never fails, but we fail. We need to make sure that when we think we're hearing from God, that it's not that we'd had, you know, bad pizza at 1230 in the middle of the night last night. It wasn't just a weird dream that we had. We need to be careful. In the Old Testament, when God said, when, when prophets said, God said, and that thing didn't come true, that person was stoned. It's a serious offense to say God said when God didn't really say. And I'm not trying to scare us into saying that, you know, God doesn't work today. Obviously, he does. But we need to be careful and open to the chance that we are wrong and that we're not really just hearing our own desires. I once asked a pastor that was known for saying God told me how he knew the difference between God speaking and his own desires speaking. And he told me he didn't know. And that scared me to death, right? That you could get up here and say God told me this and then not know the difference between what you want to do and what God is telling you to do. It's so much better to say, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. I feel like God is leading me in this direction. Or even better, I feel like this is what God wants me to do based on his word. We need to be careful when we said God said this, when there isn't a chapter in a verse. This ambu- uh, ambigu- oh shoot, I can't say it. Ambu- I, I'm going to leave it. Ambiguity. Ambiguity. There it is. That, about how God speaks, encourages this humility that we should possess in thinking that we've heard from God. And God does speak now, but absolute certainty should be reserved for Scripture. So I'm saying all that to say this. Listening needs to be part of our prayer time. Listening needs to be part of it, that we're just waiting and pausing and stopping and saying, God, I have all this on my plate. I don't know what to do with it. God, I want to join you in what you're doing. God, lead me. And hopefully you've been doing that with us this year of prayer where we're asking this question, and uh, God, what do you want us to do and who do you want us to be? We also need to be careful that we're checking our motives when we pray. God, do we really want your kingdom to come? Or God, am I concerned more with my kingdom and my plan? So when we come to God, we say, Our Father, Dad, I'm coming to you like a child, freely expressing myself without pretense, without putting on airs. You're holy and beautiful, and your name is hallowed. God, I ultimately want uh, more than what you can give. I want you. And I want to glorify you with my life. God, your kingdom come. As the band comes now, we're going to spend some time this morning practicing this prayer. So every head's bowed and every eye's closed. We're going to take time this morning for each one of these steps. We're going to finish this short two-part series up next week, and we'll cover the rest of this. Before we get there, let's remind ourselves who God is. 
Let's remember it's not about us, but it's about him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start us off in, this is called responsive prayer. I'm going to start us off in these phrases, and then I'm going to leave space for you to spend some time just praying these things that God has laid us out here for us. This template of prayer, these characteristics of prayer. Father, thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for being the picture of what a father should be. Thank you for accepting us in all of our mess. Thank you for constantly welcoming us home. And you pray. God, how beautiful is your name. How holy and powerful you are. God, you are so big. God, you are so good. Hallowed be your name. God, your plans are what we want. God, your will is what we seek. God, help us to drop our agenda and pick up yours. God, anything that we're pursuing, anything that we desire that is out of your will, we surrender this morning. God, your kingdom come. We're going to continue in an attitude of prayer. Altar's open this morning if you want to come down here and you feel led to do that. Continue to pray in your pew there. Remembering to quiet our minds, to come and rush right into the presence of God. Remembering who He is. He's our Father and He's holy. And that we surrender our will to Him. Let's call out to Him this morning.
You spend a little bit of time in prayer.